ahead and grab a seat. Uh, it is so fun to be with you today. Uh, my name is Mike, one of the pastors on the team, and I just have to say, Overlake, I have missed you. I love you. You are an incredible church, and I've been, uh, yeah, I, I love you guys. I, I've been over in Kenya for these last few weeks and, and uh, connecting with our partners over there. We've got these well water projects that we're connected to. So I was visiting some of those sites and our, our partners there. 66 freshwater wells have been dug in this one area. Yeah, an absolute victory. And then we connected with our agriculture project and, and got to see sustainable farming practices and the education that we're bringing to so many over there in Kenya. And that was a beautiful victory. And then, of course, uh, connect with some street children and recognize this, this powerful work. The need is overwhelming, but there are, our partners over there are doing some great, great things. And, and so got a chance to connect with them as well. So... That was great. Thank you for the grace to leave. And then, of course, Overlake, you, you were well cared for in my absence. Pastor Rory last week, Pastor Pat the week before, Pastor Nick the week before that. So there was some incredible stuff. Yeah, you, you're, you're a lucky church. I just want you to know. And I love being with you. I'm so glad to be back. If you want to grab your notes out uh, of your handout, you'll see that we are wrapping up a series today called Be the Church. And um, today I want to talk about living by the Spirit, but let me just do a quick review over how all religion functions, how all religions in all the world throughout all of history have functioned like this. It starts with a sacred text, some kind of a sacred scroll or a book, a document or a, you know, chiseling on a stone, something that like the sort of divine will communicated on this sacred text. It's not to be messed with because, you know, it's sacred. And, and, and it's given to just a few who are in charge of the correct interpretation for the text. And these are the sacred teachers. And because they are sacred, they cannot be questioned. And their job is to take it, understand it, and then communicate the sacred text to the sincere followers. And then one more piece of the trifecta is that this all happens at the sacred temple or in the sacred place. Could be a building, could be a plot of land, could be a holy rock or a hill or a river, could be a, a, you know, a pile of stones on which the sacrifices are made. But it is a place, the place, where the sincere followers have to go in order to connect with the sacred teachers, in order to hear the sacred text being taught, in order to make sure that they are right with God. And that's how it's been throughout all of history. These sincere followers going to the sacred temple to hear from the sacred teachers about obeying and understanding the sacred text. Because if you don't do those three things, you are right out. You're just gone. You're kicked out of the club. You're banished. You're excluded from nirvana or sent to hell or whatever it is that that religion has for you in terms of a bad, 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 bad place. That is what it looks like. And then Jesus arrives on the scene. Jesus, of course, had, came, uh, had come through the, the Jewish tradition in which there absolutely was a temple model. We talked about uh, last week when Pastor Rory was here talking about all of the different rules, all of the different laws that the Jewish model endorsed, 630 plus. And Jesus didn't come to add more laws to the followers. 
And he didn't come to just make the temple model a little bit better, right? Temple model 2.0 and kind of drop that on our laps. No, he, he actually came, took the 600 plus laws and he condensed it down, not into like 10 mega rules that we have to be sure to follow, but he actually collapsed it all down into a single verb. And the verb is love. I'm going to write that down. We're going to unpack that a little bit. But that he just took everything, the whole temple model, here, love. And it's not that weak, mushy, hippie type love, the love, 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 all you need is love. It's not the warm, fuzzy love you feel when you're looking at cute animals on the internet, a little piglet and a little bunny rabbit with the ear draped over. Oh, it's so cute. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. No, no, the, the kind of love that Jesus modeled for us, the kind of love that he unpacked for us is actually that overwhelming, all-encompassing kind of a love. It actually is a sacrificial kind of a love, a, a love that says you need to love even when you don't feel like it. You need to love the people that you already love. You need to love the people that you might not love yet. You need to love your enemies, right? The, the, this is such an amazing challenge that Jesus brings us to. In fact, I want to say that what Jesus did is, is he made everything far more simple than we ever dared hope it could be. And at the same time, it's far more difficult to live because of what love requires of us. It's far more simple, but it's far more difficult. In fact, I just want to be really, really open with you today, Overlake, and say, on your own strength, you will fail at this. By your own power, left to your own device, you will fail for certain. Every one of us will. Failure is assured. Let's close in prayer. Aren't you glad you came to church today? No, I, I want to say that somehow, this weird way, somehow our, our certain failure by our own strength and power is actually a form of freedom. Because what it actually does is it opens us up to realize we must rely on God himself, okay? And that's really what, what this whole new thing is about. The message is called Living by the Spirit. And for the first message that was ever preached after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Peter, the disciple, is preaching this message. It's, it's the first message preached in what's known by theologians as the age of the church. And as he preaches this message in Jerusalem... He, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the crucifixion on the cross and how it was just them, the, the people he's preaching to, they're the ones who wanted him crucified. They're the ones who strung him up on the cross and, and, and their hearts are pierced. They say, what should we do? And, and Peter begins to unfold the next steps. You need to repent of your sins. You need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And then Peter says, and you will receive the gift of God's spirit coming to dwell within you. I'm always amazed at this what Peter's teaching in this moment, because if you look at all the gospels up until this moment, Jesus had never told Peter to say those things. So how did Peter know to say those things? It was because of God's spirit. God's spirit was on Peter. God's spirit was instructing Peter. So Peter, he said this, it's on your outline. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. We actually saw that this morning in our first service. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of God's Spirit. 
living inside of us, almighty God dwelling within his people. Friends, this is an amazing promise. And it just sort of raises the question, maybe you're new to this whole thing, well, who, who is the Holy Spirit? You might hear us talk about Jesus. We make a big, big deal about Jesus around Overlake. We're always pointing to Jesus. He's the one who we want to follow. Uh, he's the one whose teachings we're very interested in. We want to understand the work that he accomplished on the cross. So we look at Jesus. We also talk about God the Father. God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit. So it's actually the, the third person in the Trinity, so we have a God and three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and, and we sing a lot about the Holy Spirit here at Overlake. But it's the Spirit who Paul's talking about when he writes the book of Galatians. And he's telling them, friends, look, Jesus didn't come and set up another temple model, temple 2.0 kind of a model. He didn't come to establish another religion. He came to forgive you of your sins so that the Holy Spirit could come and dwell within you. This is what he says in Galatians 5.16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So we're to let the Holy Spirit guide. We're to invite the Holy Spirit to lead. We're, we're supposed to posture ourselves in such a way that we are allowing him to take the lead and then coming along and, and following where it is that he's leading. Look what Paul writes in Romans 8, 6. He says, letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. You might want to circle that phrase. Leads to life and peace. And I would say, friends, this life, this peace that the Holy Spirit leads us into, this is true regardless of what the circumstances are around you. Regardless of what's happening in the world around you, regardless of what's going on in your friend group, in your family context, regardless of what the headlines say, that this life and peace is available to you and to me. And to illustrate this, I want to mention our dear friends Jake and Davey and the journey that they have gone through over these last nine or ten months. Many of you are already familiar with this, that about ten months ago, they, they got the news. Their three-year-old daughter, Magnolia May, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And many of us, we've been praying diligently, we've been loving on this family, just absolutely following the journey that they've been on. Do you know Jake and Davey? This entire time, they have allowed the Holy Spirit to guide their lives. It's just been so amazing. I, I told Jake this week, I'm so proud of the way that, that he has postured his life to let the Holy Spirit lead. And so, many of you know this. If you're with them on Facebook, you're, you're with Overlake if, on Facebook or on social media, you know that on Monday, just passed, that uh, Magnolia passed away. And these are the words that Jake posted. He said, for the last nine months, we've been asking Jesus for Magnolia's healing. Well, this morning at 3.20 a.m., he answered yes to our faith-filled prayers. Our sweet little Maggie Mae entered into the kingdom of heaven, fully healed and completely whole. As a family, we walked with her as far to heaven's gate as humanly possible, and even then, we still lingered to make sure she was safely inside. Knowing Mag, she probably ran the rest of the way, arms pumping straight to Jesus for their cuddle. 
Our hearts are broken beyond, are beyond broken to be apart from our baby girl. We will never fully adjust to her absence. I don't think we were meant to. At least not until that faithful day when Jesus and now our little Moo Moo welcomes us into his everlasting presence to be together forever. We are so thankful Jesus entrusted us with Magnolia. We are so grateful that her transition to heaven couldn't have been more peaceful or perfect. That peace is continuing to cover us. The reason why I read Jake's words to you is because this is what life and peace looks like, even in the midst of circumstances that are filled with chaos or death or pain. And again, Jake and Davey, in, in all of their choices, in all of the ways that they have responded to this incredibly horrific and heart-rending situation, they have been a consistent signpost pointing to Jesus. They have given glory and honor to God the Father the entire time. They have been led by the Holy Spirit. And I, I do want to say this in case you do not know. They welcome you here to this room on July 12th for a celebration of Maggie's life. July 12th at 2 o'clock right here. And they would love to have you. Okay. But that's a picture of what it looks like to live in the Spirit. And I want to be really clear that living in the Spirit, it will be in conflict with what is natural to you, with what is natural to you in your flesh. It's true for all of us, all who follow Jesus. This is what Paul says in Galatians 5.17. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. So take a look at that passage for a moment. It's very, very interesting. He says there's going to be a battle going on. Your sinful nature wants to do evil. That's the opposite of what the Spirit wants you to do. But as you lean into the Spirit, it's going to want to do the opposite of what your sinful nature wants to do. You're going to feel a tension within you, a kind of battle. And I asked the first service, I just want to be honest, how many of you, as you follow Jesus, how many of you have noticed a bit of a battle going on inside of you from time to time? Anybody feel that conflict and that tension? Yeah, so many of us. I heard a preacher once say, he used this analogy, it's the analogy that there are these two dogs inside of you. Uh, this is not really good theology, but you'll just go with it. Two dogs inside of you, and they're just, they're just totally going at it. They're fighting one another. One of the dogs is your sinful nature. One of the dogs is the spirit-filled life, and, and they're just fighting one another inside of you. And then, of course, the question is, well, which dog wins? And the answer, it's the dog you feed that wins. It's the dog you nurture it's the dog you care for. And so, in other words, we have a choice. Uh, who we're going to listen to, who we're going to feed, who we're going to nurture. And, and so the encouragement is nurture the spirit in you. Continue to allow him to lead and to guide your life. And then look at that last line, because it's really interesting. What Paul does is he says, when you're directed by the spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. He's actually saying that the temptation to legalism and the temptation to religion, and the temptation to establish another temple model 2.0, all of that is really a part of the sinful nature. 
We really still want to put a law on the wall. We want, we want to make sure that there's something up there because as humans, we know we know how to get around the law. And so Paul says, no, it's more than a law. It's, it's this relationship with the Holy Spirit. I want to give you another analogy. I think it's a better analogy. Uh, I think it's a better analogy because we came up with it, so okay, whatever. Uh, but you might want to write this down, that the Holy Spirit in your life is like a greenhouse. The Holy Spirit is like a greenhouse. Go ahead, write this down. This is going to go with you, right? This is, this is a chunk of wisdom. You're going to love this. Okay. The Holy Spirit is like a greenhouse. What does a greenhouse do? A greenhouse, it controls the conditions inside so that you can raise bananas in Alaska. You can grow blueberries in the Sahara. Because inside the greenhouse, the, the conditions are perfect for a rich harvest of whatever it is that you're cultivating. Doesn't matter what the weather is like outside, because inside the greenhouse, there's a rich harvest. And that brings me to the next fill-in, and that is this, God's spirit produces fruit in your life. God's spirit produces good fruit in your life. You invite him in, you allow him to lead, there's gonna be this biodome built in your life. And so it doesn't matter what the circumstances are around you, what the weather's patterns look like overhead, because inside your heart, the Holy Spirit is cultivating good fruit within you. And we look at this verse, Galatians 5.22, it says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Now, take just a minute and look at the fruit of God's Holy Spirit inside your life. Right? Just read that fruit and then understand this. Isn't this the kind of life that we all deeply want? I mean, if we could just remove the posturing from this world, if we could remove the thing, the, the broken motivations that we have, isn't this really the kind of life that we want to live as humans? A life that is centered and mindful, a life that's emotionally regulated, a life in which these things, the love and the joy are just welling up within us, the, the patience and the kindness, we're gentle in our relationships, we're faithful, that there's this self-control. All of these things, friends, these are beautiful things, and they, they have rich reward in our relationships, right? That, that we have rich, vibrant, deep, and authentic relationships because of the fruit of God's Spirit in our lives. So, that's a beautiful thing. Second thing I wanna say is, if you're like me at all, when you read that list of fruit, Instantly, what comes to your mind is a few examples where you don't see that fruit in your life. Maybe instantly you, you pop, you know, oh, I'm impatient. Uh, oh, oh, gosh, I don't have much self-control. And, you know, you sort of see your lack. And I get it. That's just, that's how we're wired. But I want to encourage you to do just the opposite this morning. I want you to look at that list. And then I want you to recognize that every time you see those traits in your life, it's because the Holy Spirit is at work. Every time you see the fruit of love or joy or peace, every time you see patience or kindness or goodness or gentleness, every time you see evidence of those things, you can thank God because he's at work in you. Isn't that a beautiful thing? 
The last line in that verse, I think Paul is making a joke. He's saying there's no law against these things. I mean, could you imagine? Like, like he's saying, just imagine that somebody, you know, so you get pulled over and somebody says, uh, you, you've got, you got too much self-control in your life in the back of the squad car, you know? Like, uh, I'm sorry, there's way too much patience in you. We, we got to put you in jail and you'll get, you know, right-sized. You, you need to be more impatient. And he's writing that. You can just imagine the Galatians. Oh, Paul, so funny. Kind of like you're doing right now with me. Oh, Mike, you're just, you're slaying us. But the idea is, of course, there's no law against these things. Humanity longs for these things. We've been striving for them forever. And what Paul's saying is, look, the spirit is this greenhouse in your heart, gently cultivating the soil. Gently planting these seeds and watering them in perfect conditions, regardless of what the weather's like in the outside of your life, the Holy Spirit's at work inside. Cultivating this beautiful harvest, producing beautiful fruit within you. Friends, this is the gentle work of the Holy Spirit and the word we've talked about before. The word theologians use for what he's doing is called sanctification. He's sanctifying us. He's making us more and more like Jesus Christ. That's what's happening. It's gentle. It's quiet. The Holy Spirit so often is a gentleman. I do want you to know that there are times when we might not be paying attention so much. And there are times when I think the Holy Spirit shouts at us to get our attention. One example, I was a youth pastor down in Southern California. And I distinctly remember the situation. I was leading an adult volunteer meeting at 6 p.m. And it was five minutes to 6 p.m. and I was still several miles away from the church, driving rather quickly. And I was very impatient to get to the church because I had to lead this adult volunteer meeting. This was the God's work I was called to and the other cars were just hindrances to me. And so I was speeding down on my way to church and as I approached an intersection, I could see that there was a broken down car right in the middle of the intersection. <clears throat> Excuse me, this poor gal was at the steering wheel kind of steering while this, uh, some guy was behind the car kind of pushing as, as hard as he could and it was kind of barely moving out of the intersection. And so I did what, what most pastors on their way to, to church would do. I sped up a little bit, shifted lanes, tried to pass. And as I drove past, I looked over at the person pushing the car and it was Rudy, one of my adult volunteers. And so real quickly, I whip over to the curb, park my car, run out, and I'm like, oh, hey, Rudy, how are you? I didn't see you there. Looks like we had the same idea. <sighs> wow, you know, and help push the car out of the way. And, and the whole time, I'm thinking to myself, come on, man. Like, the Holy Spirit's just convicting me. Like, like oh, you, you think you're just this great you know, pastor, this guy has to do such important things for God, but you don't have time to push your car out of the intersection. Meanwhile, your, your volunteer, who you were getting ready to lead, is actually leading you in how to live this thing. Come on, right? And, and sometimes the Holy Spirit will do that. I highly recommend that you listen to the Holy Spirit when he's doing this, okay? Make sure that we submit, allow for his leading in our lives. I just got back from Kenya, and one of the things that we did while we were there we visited Sammy's house. And 
It's run by Sammy Hammerick. She is a, a girl that many years ago, she was in my youth ministry in Southern California. And now she's leading this house for disabled children. In Kenya, disabled kids really don't have much of a future or a life. Most parents don't know what to do with disabled kids, kids with cerebral palsy or spinal bifida, all, all kinds of challenges. And, and so some of these children literally are just tied to a tree and, and, and just ignored most days. And, and Sammy was over there several years ago. She saw the need. She had been educated. That was what she went to university for, for, for uh, special needs education. She really didn't know how to start a nonprofit or run a home, but she saw the need and she felt the Holy Spirit prompt her, this is the work I have for you. And these are the children I want you to care for. And so she did. She just jumped. And I got a chance to visit the home. And it, it was this maybe 800 square foot home, real simple, three small bedrooms. In this home, there was room for maybe six to eight children with disabilities. And currently, she was taking care of 27. She also recognized that many kids in Kenya don't have an opportunity to go to school because they can't pay the school fees. So she's opened a school during the days where another 70 students come into her house. And it just kind of blows me away. And I was there, our whole team was there, and we're, we're loving on these kids, and we're holding them and caring for them. And, and I got a chance to see how they light up when Sammy comes into the room how much love they experience when she scoops them up into her arms. I mean, it just is beautiful. And the whole thing exists because Sammy was just obedient to listening to the Holy Spirit, going where the Holy Spirit was guiding her to go, doing what the Holy Spirit was prompting her to do. Now, Sammy also has a vision for how to grow, and so she's got this land outside of town. They're building a, a larger facility. You know, it was great to go and see sort of the work as it's going to continue to grow and progress. But I just share that to let you know, this is what an example of listening to the Holy Spirit looks like and allowing God's Spirit to lead. I just want to conclude by saying living by the Spirit produces fruit. And so you look at your life and you see where is the fruit that God's spirit is producing. You celebrate that. Where you don't see fruit, that's where you invite the spirit in more. That's where you seek to surrender to his leading more. This next passage, Galatians 5.24, Paul writes, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So that visual of crucifying the sinful nature to the cross, that's a picture of what it looks like to trust in Jesus for the first time. That, that we recognize that so much of our life is lived in rebellion to God and his leadership and so when we trust Christ, we recognize that what he did on the cross was die for our sins. He took that penalty on himself. And so we just recognize, okay, I've got a sinful nature. I want it to be crucified. And so I nail it to the cross. That's that one-time decision that we make if we're going to trust in Jesus Christ. But I have to confess, friends, I've been following Jesus for a long, long time, decades and decades. I want you to understand that even I, every day, 
I have to crucify my sinful nature again and again. This is something you don't just do one time. It's something you have to do again and again. It's almost like that sinful, you just won't die. Just die. Would you die, you know? And you just keep nailing it to the cross and inviting the spirit to lead. And then I want you to underline that phrase. It says, since we are living by the spirit, underline this, let us follow the spirit's leading in some parts of our lives. Uh, no, in a few parts. No, does it, in a majority of the parts of our, no, it says in, let's hear it. Yeah, in every part of our lives. We need to invite the spirit to lead in all parts of our lives. So friends, in your church life, in your relationships, in your friendship life, in your married life, in your parenting life, in your dating life, in your work life, in your school life, in your investing life. We need to follow the Spirit's leading, following his leading when you're at the gym, when you're getting your oil changed, when you're paying your bills or buying your groceries, when you're watching TV or on the internet, when you're joking with your colleagues at work, when you're in a disagreement with a family member, when you're starting to gossip about a family at your kid's school, when you're pouring yourself another drink. The point is in every part of our lives. Not just a few and not even a majority. Right now, my guess is that, that we can think of a few areas of our lives where we're not currently following the Spirit's lead. So let's make a change right now. Let's invite the Spirit into those places and let's make a commitment to him that we are gonna follow his leading. And again, why do we do this? Because we know what he produces, that the Holy Spirit's gonna produce good fruit in our lives, and that's what we want. So where is the Spirit leading you? Where is it that you need to follow his lead? Every area. Next fill in, God's Spirit leads us to satisfaction. God's Spirit leads us to satisfaction. Paul says in Galatians 6.4, pay careful attention to your own work for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. So really what Paul's saying is let your work stand alone. When you, when you do your work, do it as unto the Lord and release it to God. And if you do that, you will be satisfied by the work that you're offering him and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. We're all different. We've all got different strengths, different skills. We've all got different, you know, histories and opportunities. So don't compare yourself, Paul says. No, you just do your work to the Lord, and then you will be satisfied in what it is that you're offering him. There's a great tie-in today, Overlake, with the OCC Workday that we're going to do right after this service. I would love it if all of you would join me and my family. We're going to just stick around. We're going to weed some of the flower beds around here. We're going to do some work, try to, you know, take care, good stewardship of this house. And, and so I would encourage you to do that. But understand this, that, that I'm going to be out there with my kiddos, and, and we're going to be weeding some of the flower beds. And I can just imagine, I can sort of picture it already, the, the, oh, look how good I'm weeding, and look how bad, you know, Doozy's not doing anything. He's not, he doesn't have any weeds that he's doing. Oh, look at me. I, Caleb's like, oh, man, I'm weeding better than all three of you at once. And I was oh, no, you're not, and I'm, and then they throw the weeds at each other, and, you know, here's the deal. You don't need to care about what your brother's doing. 
And it doesn't matter about what your sister, what you need to do is weed your bed. You might want to write that down. That's the second good nugget that you have. So you're a greenhouse, right? The Holy Spirit, the green, and weed your bed. Like that's it. That's all you need. That'll go with you guys. I am dropping nuggets. You have to know. Good stuff. Okay. So the idea is it's just about you and God. So many times in Scripture, just commit your work to the Lord. Don't compare yourself with other people. No, you do your work as unto God. And then you receive the satisfaction that comes from him. That's God's spirit at work within you. Next fill in. God's spirit leads us to do good to everyone. Do good to everyone. And this is what he says in Galatians 6 verse 7. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. God is a gracious God, and, and it, actually that grace is so amazing, but it's built on the justice of God. And then he unpacks it. You will always harvest what you plant. That makes sense. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. There it is. Do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Okay. So what Paul does here, he goes back to that greenhouse. He says, here's how it works. Inside that greenhouse, the conditions are perfect. But you need to understand that what you harvest is actually what you plant. So if you live your life by the sinful nature and you spend your life harvesting or, or sowing rather to the sinful nature and in your relationships you're me first and you're rude and you're self-oriented and you're stepping on other people to get to the top and it's all about you and it's not about them and, and you're not living a life of love, then guess what? The harvest is what you've planted, decay and death. But, Paul says, but think about that greenhouse again, and if in your relationships you're caring and you're loving and you're serving and you're honoring and, and you're sowing the seeds of the Spirit everywhere, then what you're going to harvest is beautiful, right? And that's why we do good to everyone, that's why the challenge is we do good to everyone. We do good to those we love, those who are in our family, those who are in the family of faith, and those who are outside of the family of faith, and those who don't even want us to be doing good to them, and, and those who we might even count as enemies that, that it doesn't even matter. The idea is that that's the kind of life we want to sow because that's the kind of harvest we want to reap. Do good to everyone. And the Holy Spirit will give us the opportunity and the will to do that. And when you do good to everyone, you'll be harvesting what you've sown. And that'll just be more evidence of what God's accomplishing within you. Next fill in, God's Spirit leads us to transformation. Leads us to transformation. Galatians 6.15, it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. That seems like a left turn from what we've been talking about so far. It doesn't matter if you've been circumcised or not. What Paul is actually referencing here is a bit of the Jewish law. 
And the Jewish law, circumcision was a big part of the Jewish law. And at the time Paul's writing, there's this really this big tension between do we have to become Jewish first in order to follow Jesus? And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. No, Jesus didn't come to set up a new law. You don't have to follow the old trappings of the old law. What, what Paul's saying is, look, it's a whole new thing, right? And what matters, what counts is this. It's whether or not we have been transformed into a new creation. Then he says, may God's peace and mercy be on all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. Isn't that beautiful? So we are transformed into a new creation. God's spirit within us, it, he is making us the new people of God, guiding us, filling us with his peace and his power, birthing joy, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness, bringing satisfaction to us as we serve generosity that amazes those around us. And I just wanna be really, really clear. Jesus did not come and die on the cross horrifically. He did not come and pay that ultimate sacrifice so that he would settle the debt, pay the penalty for all of your sins and all of my sins and perfectly satisfy the law. He did not come to do all that just to create a new law with more rules. Now, what he did is he came to set us free to satisfy the law, to set us free. So all of the rules of the Old Testament, they are collapsed into a single verb, love. And we are to love God, we're to love one another, we're to love our enemies. And we're to trust in God's spirit within us to help us love. And for those of you who are familiar with the New Testament, You've read through the book. You know how it goes from Matthew all the way to Revelation. You know that in the New Testament, there actually are quite a few what you might call rules. There are quite a few what you might call commands. But here's how I want you to look at them and see if this doesn't change the way you read the Scripture. Every single one of those New Testament rules, it's an expression of love. It's how you love. And so love is the verb, that's the challenge, that's what we need God's help to do. And then he gives us instances of love, right? Paul, if he's writing, or Peter, if he's writing, or Luke, if he's writing. The idea is that, that um, okay, so love is now the thing that we're gonna go after. And some of you are married, so here's what it looks like to love in your marriage relationships. And love is what we're gonna go after, and some of you have kids, so here's what it looks like for you to love in your relationship as you're a parent in those things. Does this make sense? Love is the highest value, and some of you have jobs and careers, and so in your jobs and careers, this is what it looks like to love. And the more you look at the rules and, and the regulations and the, sort of the list of do's and don'ts in the New Testament through that lens, the more you'll see it's right. It's how we love. And so I want to even go one step further. There are some things in the New Testament, right? Many rules in the New Testament or many, you know, guidelines, advice, kind of a thing. But, but here's the deal. Your life today, 2,000 years later, there's some stuff you're going to face that isn't written in the New Testament. So, so it's not like you're blind. It's not like, oh, what do I do, you know? I, 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 it's not in the New Testament. I, I, I don't even know how to deal. No, no, love. So whatever you're facing today, 
That's what you go after, love. And you trust the Holy Spirit working in your life, producing this good fruit, will show you what love requires in your context. This is basically where Paul kind of wraps the whole thing up in Galatians 5, 6. He says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts. Again, it's far more simpler than we ever dared hope, far more difficult than we ever thought it was. We need God's spirit. Last feeling, God's spirit leads us to love. It's impossible to do without God's help. And so let's live free, friends. You can't do it on your own strength. By yourself, we're destined to fail, so we need God's help to love. Let's live intimate with God's spirit. Let's be transformed into a people who love. Let me close with this verse, Ephesians 5.1. This is from the message paraphrase. It says, watch what God does, and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray that we will be the people that love like that. Lord Jesus, we just come before you now and, and we are humble. And we do recognize that by our own strength, by our own will, by our own determination, that, that we might accomplish many things by who you've made us to be, but, but without your help, without the spirit working actively in our lives, we know we're destined to fail. And so we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would cleanse us of all of our sin, that you would fill us and overfill us with who you are, your strength and your power, that you would show us how to love in all of the areas of our life. We want to follow your leading in every area. And so, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would come, that you would continue to do your good work of cultivating the soil, of planting the good seed, producing a rich harvest of your good fruit in our life. We love you. We want to follow you for the rest of our days. So please invade us and allow us to, to follow you and to be courageous as we do so. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen.